Give it up for Accelerate Church. Incredible. And just to give everyone a little bit of an update, they launched a couple weeks ago and they had 330 people show up uh, that opening weekend and seven people gave their lives to Jesus from day one. And we just want to share that with you. Let you know that's what you're a part of. Being a part of this church, I think a lot of times we can come in here and think, okay, is this what's going on? And so much is happening. But it's not just here in our city. It's around the world. Like your generosity went to planting that church. And if you're here today and you want to start uh, partnering with us, join with us in giving, you can always go to our website, tpcc.org. But Traders Point, uh, welcome. We doing all right today? <laughs> almost believed you. Almost believed you. Uh, but for those that are here for the first time, we are in our series, Recalibrate. And maybe when you heard that during the host moment, you're like, I don't even know what that, what that means. Like, um, to me, that sounds like if I took my truck into the mechanic, he's calling me later to be like, hey, man, we, yeah, we're going to have to recalibrate this. I'm like, Re recalibrate what? The whole thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be about 20,000, um, but just, it's fine. Uh, but it is a technical term a lot of times, right? And so I started looking into it from that side of what, what does it mean to recalibrate or when do you need to recalibrate? And here was the, the definition that I got. It says you need to recalibrate after an instrument has been exposed to a shock, vibration, or physical damage, which might potentially have compromised the integrity of its calibration. And just by showing a little bit of noise, has anyone been exposed to uh, shock, vibration, or even physical damage recently? Yeah, me too. The other thing that really stood out to me was instrument. And this word, it kind of jumped out to me because some of you know this, but uh, when God was talking about Paul, he said that this, he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument that I'm going to use to tell people all about who I am. And I think it's important for us to have that umbrella over us that, that we are God's chosen instrument. That where you are in your life, in this season, at your work, in your school, you have been placed there for a very specific purpose. You are God's chosen instrument to reach those around you. And at the same time, I feel like every time we, we leave here, we feel this pull, right? This pull that we have this confidence in here, we have this belief in here, but when we, when we go out there, it feels like we're pulled in just a little bit off of, you know, don't quite say that, don't, don't do that, just, just fit in, just, just be quiet. And, and little by little, we just kind of begin to move and work our way off just, just a little, and that was the other word that says that, that when the integrity of the instrument has been compromised. And I was just seeing like, man, that is, that is the work of the devil. That it, like he can't defeat us. He can't take us down. But, but if he can just get us to compromise our integrity, then he has a foothold. And so what we've said is, you know what? We're not standing for that. That we will admit that we've been through some stuff. We've been shook up a little bit, but we are God's chosen instrument. And what we need is to be recalibrated is a standard to be calibrated to. 
And what we've said is our standard, the way we're going to live our life is, is true north. And, and here's what that means. True north is following after Jesus in every area of our lives. That's what we want to do. We want to follow after him. And it's been this idea of lordship, right? That it's not just God is our savior, that he saved us that one day, that one time, but he's actually Lord over our lives. That every day when we leave, he, we are attaching ourselves to him and following after him faithfully. And to do this, we've, we've said, hey, we're going to study the book of Romans, which is just a behemoth of a book, but it has been so good. Everybody been enjoying this study through Romans over the past few weeks? Those that have been here. How about A.B.? Has he been killing it going over these past few weeks preaching? Unbelievable. No, it's, it's so rich. Uh, I love that what uh, Dr. Tony Evans actually says about it. He says that Romans is the constitution of the church. It is so rich and so complex and it kind of lays out like this is what we believe as a church and how we should operate to continue moving in true north. And what we're going to do today is we are going to jump right in and we're going to be in Romans chapter 4 starting in verse 1. So you can, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up and flip there. I do want to kind of give us a little bit of a recap, though, as to what's been going on over the past few weeks. What we've been seeing is that Paul is this guy, he's writing this letter to the Romans, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of tension there, mainly between two groups of people. You see, you have the Jewish people and you have the Gentiles. And Gentile is just an all-encompassing word for anyone that's not Jewish. You see, for pretty much always, these two, these two groups of people have been separated. They did not interact together. They did not hang out. They did not talk. And now they are together all the time. They are worshiping together. And the Jewish people are kind of cool with it, but kind of not. You know, like, hey, glad you're here. But while you're here, here's a few things you need to do. And mainly there's two big ones. One, you need to follow all of the Jewish law, all of it. The second one is, hey, fellas, uh, all of you are going to need to get circumcised. As you can imagine, trying to get grown men to get themselves circumcised, kind of a losing battle, right? <laughs> Wives thought it was hard to get them to clean out the gutters. Imagine if you had to go to them like, hey, can you add this to your to-do list? Can you get circumcised real quick? And what Paul is going to step in here and what he's going to do is say, hey, guys, I want us to be grounded. I want us to remember that there is something that unites us. And it's bigger than any law. It's bigger than any circumcision. It's the work of Christ. And what Jesus has brought together, let nothing divide. And what he's going to do today is he's actually going to continue on to his argument of showing that we are, we are not saved by what we do or what we've done or what family we come from. We're saved by one thing, and that's Jesus. But what he has to do here is he is speaking to a very legal community, hundreds and hundreds of years of following after this law. So what he has to do is present precedent. He has to produce produce precedent to show that it's not this what saves you because they had lived for so long thinking that how they lived, how they obeyed God's law is what made them right in the eyes of God. But what 
Paul is going to introduce today is precedent to show that there's actually something that's before all of that. And that's what unites us all together. It's not any of these outward things. But with all that being said, uh, hopefully you have enough time to get to Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. He says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. All right. So he's setting up, he's building his argument, he's making a claim that they can't disagree with. He's starting with some common ground, right? Abraham is, humanly speaking, the founder. Many would say that Abraham and his wife are the father and the mother of our faith. And we need to understand a few things about them to make sense of what we're going to read next. But the important things are to know that that is true, that God picked Abraham out of nothing. It wasn't because Abraham was incredible or really good looking or faithful. We learn in the book of Joshua that Abraham's family actually worshiped other gods. But God picked him out of a group of people and said, I want to use you. I'm going to use you to start this new nation. And what we know about Abraham is that he's married to a woman named Sarah. And what we know about them is that they can't have kids. That's all the, really the information that we get. And then God says, comes to him and says, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave all this land that you've known. I want you to leave your family and trust me. He's 75 years old when God tells him this. Imagine what it would take for that to happen. And the wild thing is that Abraham believes him. He says, okay, if, if you say it's true, then I'll go. I will follow you. Where am I going? He said, quit asking so many questions. Just start walking. You'll know when you get there. He does tell him a few things though, all right? So these are the few things that he tells him. He says, I will make you into a great nation. And he also tells him that all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this word here, all, uh, if you trace it back to the original languages, it really, it, it actually means all, okay? So it's all the families Everyone that we're talking about here, Jewish and Gentile. This is a promise that God made to Abraham, that all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And this is what we're going to pick up with in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, is Paul is going to reference this account, this story here where, where God came to Abraham and and he says in verse, sorry, verse two, he says, what did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteous. So this is where those two worlds are colliding. That God came to Abraham and he laid this whole thing out for him. He says, I want you to, to follow me. I want you to trust me. I want you to leave here and to leave everything that you ever known and go after me. But when Abraham goes and, and he does it, he, to, his, to his respect, he goes and he leaves. But time goes by and things aren't really going the way that, that he thought they would, right? 
he thought that this was going to look very, very differently because he's known this story of his life where him and his wife have struggled to have kids, but now God has promised him that he's going to be the father of this nation. But he's not even a father of his own house. So he's, he's, he's in a really tough spot. And he cries out to God and he says, God, I, I just need your, I need your help. I need, I need you to walk me through this. And what we're going to see here is the groundbreaking truth that Paul gets to in this moment. It is how we answer this question. It changes everything, okay? So I, I want us to read this, this, this account in Genesis. When God comes to Abraham. He said, then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. What Paul has just done here is he's done this unbelievable move that I believe was only inspired by the Holy Spirit to look at years and years of this foundation of that we are saved, that we are made right by how well we follow God, about how good we can be, how strict we can be to these laws and to being circumcised and to doing all these things. But what in a moment with one verse, Paul says that there's actually something that predates all of that. And Abraham was made right because of his faith. That that's what we have to see today. That it is not by what we do or what we have done or what's been done to us. We are saved by our faith in God. And that is really, really good news. And what Paul is going to do next is to show that this is the precedent that he needed, right? This, if he can show that, that our spiritual father, the one that all of the Jewish nation looks to, is like, this is, this is our guy, that if he can show that he was actually saved by faith and not by what he did, then it's dominoes. Because it means if it was true for him, then it was true for everyone following, for them and for all those to come. But keep, keep reading because Paul's, he, he's going to double down now. Because it's not enough that he wants them to see that this is what it's always been. But he wants someone to actually play out the implications if it was the other way. That if having a good relationship or a right relationship with God was about what you could do, the problems that, that arise there too. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So he throws out a handful of, of words there, right? Mainly work, wages, and a gift. Once again, he's drawing back onto this, to this idea. And I just want you to think back to the many jobs that you've had, right? When you work, you get a paycheck, right? Now, I've done a lot of work in my life. I've worked at a lot of places. I've done a lot of things for money. 
the thing that was common, the thing that was standard with all of these places was there was a process where I went to work, I did a job, I produced a service. At the end of that time, I got paid, right? And you guys remember when, I don't know, anybody still get a physical check? Like that was a moment, right? When you would work and then you would actually show up, the checks would arrive and you would get that check. On those checks, it did not say, hey, Ryan, a gift from me to you. That would have been the most disrespectful. Like I have worked hard for this. I got this money. I got it. I then gave it to finish line at the time, but it was mine for a little bit. But there's this idea of when we can come to God, that if it's not on faith, that if it's not because we believe and trust God, but if it's what we do, there's not only the problem that we actually have to earn our salvation, but if you play it out on the other side, it means that you're saying that God owes you. That if you can live a certain way, that at the end of your life or at the, even at the end of your day, that there's some things that you can demand from God. And I know maybe when you just say it that way, it doesn't sound like, could anyone believe that? But they can. And we have, and we do. Do you? Do you believe that God owes you? Do you believe that God owes you? I can remember the first time I gave to the church. First time I gave to the church, I was sitting right over here in this section at Northwest. This is back when we used to pass the plates, right? So the plate was going by. I'd never done anything other than pass the plate before. But it came this time. I had $40. I don't know why I picked $40. Had no, it just That's what I decided. And I put that $40 on the plate. And I pushed hard, too, to make it sound like it was more than what it was. But it was like, that's all me, right? That's, you're welcome, God. And... I was feeling so good about myself that I decided I was going to treat myself to a gift of my own. So I went to Taco Bell where all dreams come true. And I was going to have a good lunch on me. Um, ordered cheesy gordita crunch, you know, nacho bel grande, pintos and cheese with sour cream. I know the menu, okay? I'm ordering it all. And after I place my order, she tells me how much it's going to be. And I go to roll my window up because it's raining. Window starts to go up, falls off the track, goes all the way down. I push the button and it's just running and it needs to be recalibrated. And I drive up and I get my food and I'll be honest, I was having a really hard time. Like the first time, not like soon, the same day, the same afternoon, the day that I give money to the church that I believe, God, I'm going to trust you with some of my resources is the day my window breaks. How do I justify this? You see, this is part of what can happen with us over time. It's this idea that when we do something good, then God better do what he's supposed to do and give us what we want. Like it's some kind of tennis match. Like, hey, God, I'm hitting this one to you. You hit me something back. All right. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to read my Bible. But God, I'm going to need that paycheck. I'm going to need that new house. I'm going to need some things from you. And what Paul is making it absolutely clear here is that our relationship with God can either be 
wages that we earn or try to earn, or it can be a gift. And luckily for us, it is a gift. So please hear this. When we connect with God in any form, whether that's coming to church, whether that's serving his people, whether that's reading scripture or sitting in prayer, we do not come to get anything other than God. We come to say how thankful we are that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is nothing that we have done but only what you have done for us. And we get to know God. God is our prize. God is our possession. The fact that we can go to the creator of all things and speak, that's the win, not what happens outside of that. And that's what Paul is showing here, that it is a gift. But then he's also going to say, okay, I think we've proven that this was a gift that was given to Abraham and now didn't stop with him, but went through all people, including us, all of the Jewish people. But is this gift for everyone else? Did God really mean all families when he said all families? And look at what he says. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? I feel like we could have just said Gentiles, but he's really making the point here. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? When he, when he counted, was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Now, I want us to get into this picture right now of, of what Paul is doing. So he's begin to, to build this argument with the, all of the Jewish nation to show them that it is our faith in Jesus that unites us and it precedes everything else. And what he's going to do now is basically he is sitting them on the witness stand. And he's just made his case showing that we are saved by faith. And he has the Jewish nation sitting there. And he goes to the witness stand and he says... When did it happen? And then their attorney steps up and says, objection, vague. I watch a lot of um, law shows. But so then Paul restates his question. He says, ah, strike that. When was Abraham made right in the eyes of God? Was it before or after he was circumcised? And they're kind of squirming a little bit like, well, I mean, it's hard to know exactly. Sir, I will state it again. When was he made right? Before or after he was circumcised? Before, technically. Okay. So you're saying he was made right before he was circumcised. What about this? When was he made right with God? Was it before or after the law? It's before. So you're telling me in this courtroom today that Abraham was made right not by his circumcision, not by following the law, which he didn't even know. But you're going to tell me here today that objection leading. Okay, I'll get to a question. <laughs> so you are made right by God because of your faith. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. And their minds would have exploded. 
the precision that Paul just used here to be able to get to this point to show that this gift is for everyone. And can I get the next scripture? So look at what he says. He says, so Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So this is the moment that that he's come down to. He's just boiled down everything that he's been leading, everything that he's been arguing, and made it into this statement that it's all have been saved, both Jew and Gentile, by faith. That this is the good news for us, everyone in this room. We have been welcomed into the family of God. We are considered all. And that we are welcomed into the family of God. And then he says, yeah, you're welcomed into all of the Gentiles and the Jews, you're welcomed into, but not because of how well you're following the law or because of being circumcised. He says that there's actually something that came before. He says you are saved if, only if, you have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. What kind of faith did Abraham have? What kind of faith, what was that kind of faith? Because I think that's, that's important, that's important to know. Because it wasn't, I think, the way that we talk about faith these days. And, and so I want to read this and kind of show the distinction between what faith really is and what we've taken to believe it for. It says, this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life. And who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. So we see here that it's not just any kind of faith. You know, I think a lot of times when we talk about faith, it's almost used like whimsically. Like it's just like, uh, I didn't really plan for anything. So I'm, I just got to have faith. Like, hey, how, how, how'd you do uh, on that test? Huh? I hope I did pretty good. Huh? Have faith. Did you study? Oh, no. I <laughs> think... You're going to need something. Um, but this idea of faith is, is not detached from reason. It's not detached from a logical decision. You see, with Abraham, he placed his faith in a God that he knew, a God that brought dead things to life, a God that nothing was, was too hard for. So this wasn't just like this, this idea of, I guess I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to have faith. No, and that's not what you have or I have either. We place our faith in a God who is above it all, who reigns, 
who is in control, who is powerful, who brings the dead back to life, who speaks and universes are created, who saves over and over again, a God that we can show to be faithful after account, after account, after account. This is the God that we serve. Is anyone thankful for this kind of God? Does anyone know this kind of God? Because there's people here today that need to know that their faith is not just detached from reality or logic or reason. It's placing your trust in a God that you know. Abraham knew God. This is the God that he believed in. This is the kind of faith that he had. But it doesn't mean he wasn't without fault. And it doesn't mean that he didn't struggle. And it doesn't mean that he didn't have doubts. And I hope through his account, even as the spiritual father that he is, that, that you can relate to his humanness and Sarah's. Because like I said, it went from 75 years old where, you know, biology's in there. Um, now they're 100 years old and 90 years old. Still childless. And they're doubting. But look at where God meets them once again. It says, Abraham and Sarah were both very old at this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. She laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? This is the moment where I think we a lot of times find ourselves in, and I just want us to have an honest moment. Are there things in your life right now that if you either read about it in Scripture or someone told you, but if someone told you this, you would laugh them out of the room. Some, they would bring it to you and you would just say, nah, that's not true of me. And I think we see exactly where that thought comes from. If you notice where Sarah's mind went when God said this, he said that you will do this. And if you notice her first reaction, she focused it on herself. She said, I am, I am a worn out old woman. I am well past my age to have a baby. I am. And this is the difference that we've been hitting on every week in this series. The difference between the gospel and religion. Religion always finds its way turning inward and focusing on the question, I am. I am not enough. I am not the one that can meet this need. I am only. I am only a single mother. I am divorced. I am not enough. I am unlovable. I am someone that will never graduate. No one in my family has ever graduated. And our hope begins to diminish. That's religion. What God does here is a perfect example of what the gospel is. She's saying, I am, I am, I am. And God is saying, look at me, I am. 
I am the one who's going to meet you in the middle of this. I am the one that is well aware of your physical limitations. I am the one that is going to meet you in your need. I am going to be the one that fulfills your promise. And as you look at the weakness of your I am, look at mine. Because my I am is perfect and I will meet you in every one of your needs. This is the question I want to ask you guys. Is anything too hard for the Lord right now? Like you're having that moment where you're like, is, is there something in your life where you've either put it away, you've just decided this can't happen, this never will be? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that makes you laugh? Is there anything that makes you cynical about the promises of God and all that he's said that he's going to do? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because I think this is where our faith is rooted. What do we do when it's not just our faith in position to one day when we die, but right now, when we leave this room, is there anything that you're putting on your mind that is too hard for the Lord? Any position, any circumstance that you are saying is hopeless. And I just want to give us some things that we can center back to and we can know about what we can do when we face hopelessness, when things look beyond our control, all right? And if you have notes, if you're taking notes, this is the time. So write them down. Um, write the things down. Know God. This has been what these chapters have been all about that our human tendency is to look inward and to see who we are. But our faith is not rooted in ourselves. It is rooted in God. So we have to know God. Because we can't have faith in someone that we don't know. We can't go to a God that we don't know. In the Bible it talks about when people are going to come to God at the end of it and they're going to say, God, we did all of these things in your name. We served, we prophesied, we went to church, we did all of this. And he's going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. The most important thing that we can do with our lives is to know God and it will shape every aspect of it. That's why we've put so much into this series with the journal and the additional resources in the DBR. It's so that we can wake up every day and recalibrate to true north. So that we can be connected to God. Not to get anything from him, but to just be with him. To sit with him. To learn who he is and to know him on a relational level. Because that's what Jesus died for us to have. And when we know God we have a whole new faith in him because we just see how big and how powerful and how strong he really is. Like growing up, I had a very strong grandpa, right? Anybody have a strong grandpa that you just loved, was kind of bigger than life, right? You, you felt comfortable when you were with him. You had faith because you knew you were with him. You were going to be okay. That was my grandpa. And I remember one day, when I was a little kid, um, we were leaving a gas station. And as we were walking out to the front doors, we were stepping there. And there's a guy positioned against, kind of leaning up against the gas station. And he said, hey, he's talking to my grandpa. What would you do if I pulled this gun on you? We're walking. 
My grandpa's walking. I'm right beside him. He doesn't break stride. He takes a puff of his cigarette. He says, I'd make you eat it. And then he flipped it at him. The man said, what would you do if I pulled this gun on you? He said, I would make you eat it and then flipped his cigarette at him. I promise you, walking to the parking lot, I have never felt safer, more calm. I was waiting for somebody else to come. Who, who's going to touch me? Who's going to do anything? This is what the kind of faith and hope and security that knowing God produces. That my father owns this place, that he is with me. I'm going to be all right. But we have to know God. The second thing is this. Sit with spiritual fathers and mothers. Here's what I mean by this. We've been talking a lot about referencing our spiritual mother and father, Abraham and Sarah. But we also have spiritual mothers and fathers in our church. And when we are going through tough times, when we are beginning to lose hope, what we need is some assurance from some people that have been where we are. And I'm telling you that one of the things I love about our church is that it is multi-generational. And I'm not going to say that there's old people here. There are sages here. There are people here that have built their lives on the blood of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. They have been where you are and they can help you. And I just want to show for our sages in the room, can we let our church know at every campus that you are here, that you have some wisdom. Yeah, see? Don't let that fool you. There is silence in wisdom, all right? There's wisdom. They're holding it, they're playing it hard, you know, close to the heart, but they're there. And for all of the younger people, there's this need that you have right now of you're trying to figure out what's going on. You need people to pour into your lives. You need people to put their arm around you as spiritual mothers and fathers to show you things that they did that they wish they wouldn't have done and to show you things that, hey, you should try this, that they can work, that our church should be a beautiful exchange of generations coming together and passing knowledge back and forth. And our sages, you need to hear this, that you may have retired from work, but you have never retired from ministry. And this is a call to you that we need you in our lives. And now can we get a celebration from the younger generation to say, we need you, we want you. Find some spiritual mentors to sit with. I started doing this with one of our elders, Rod, and it's just unbelievable just to sit with him and hear from him. Get a few, all right? They're, they're everywhere, all right? Older people are here. Do it. Um, the final one is drop anchor. Drop anchor. I want, you, I want you to write that down because I think the author of Hebrews really solidifies what this looks like. That our hope and our faith is not just out here into some world that in heaven one day, but it is a, it's a heavy thing. It's a, it has weight. It has, it has substance. It has power. And listen to the way that, that he talks about our hope and our faith. 
He says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, I want you to see that. That our hope, our faith, it is an anchor. And we all have anchors right now. Things that we've placed our hope and our faith in. And the problem with a lot of the things that we're trying to anchor ourselves with, money, power, even our relationships here with our family or our position as a mother or father or friend or whatever, however we're trying to label ourselves, that anchor only goes down so far. And the moment we leave here, this is why we have a hard time staying calibrated, is because we get moved around. The waves push us and move us as they please. But the author of Hebrews here says that, no, there's, there's actually an anchor. There's an anchor for your soul. There's an anchor that is so heavy that it doesn't stay at the top. It goes all the way down to the depths of your soul, and it anchors you to that standard. It anchors you to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it gives you true identity. That your identity is not made up by what you do or how well you do. Your identity is decided, declared. It is declared. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are chosen, freed, and adopted. That is yours. That is a gift that is yours. You have identity. You have purpose. You have a reason for all the places that you are in. You have assurances that your faith tells you that just because what I see in front of me is not all that there is to be seen because there is a God who reigns above it all and is in control and he is going to lead me. That that is the kind of faith that we have. A faith that stands courageously in the face of hopelessness. That there is power in our faith. You know, it was about a month ago that uh, me and my wife and, and a group of us went over to see some of our friends. And they were in a really tough time. Probably as, as, as parents, I don't think it gets any harder than what they were experiencing. You see, they had just found out that their two-year-old son had cancer. And we went over there to worship. We went over there to pray. We went over there to bring them things. We went over there to be hope. And we're praying. And we're praying for the miraculous. We're praying that this cancer would be removed. We're praying because we believe God is able to do anything. And I finished praying. And I'm thinking that's the end of the group prayer. But then the mom starts praying. And she prayed. God, I believe, I believe you are able to do this. I believe you are able to heal. But then she said, but even if I lose my son, I know you are good. And I'm telling you, it hit me in the moment, but it hasn't left me in the months to, since that that is faith. Faith that completely trusts God to do what only he can do and to know that even when he doesn't do things the way we thought he would, that he is still good. And I believe that if we have accounts of faith like this, and if we have women amongst us 
who are praying prayers like that. You cannot pray a prayer like that unless you truly believe God is who he said he is. That is the hope we have opened ourselves into, opened ourselves up to. That is the faith that we have. And I just want to close today by reading the good news. Paul does an amazing job of this almost every chapter, just summarizing what it is that we have because of Jesus. He says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger in this. He brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. There's a moment here where I believe we all have an opportunity to respond in faith. And it's through Jesus. See, Jesus is the Son of God, that God sent him here to live that perfect life, that standard that we could never live up to. And even though he was perfect and was blameless, he was convicted and found guilty and sent to a cross. And where he differs from Abraham and Sarah, he wasn't just as good as dead, he was dead. He was murdered, thrown into a tomb but our God rose and our God reigns. And this is the God that you are placing your faith in today. And so I know there's a lot of us here that maybe you're having a hard time wrestling with, is anything too hard for the Lord? And maybe there was a season where you would have answered that with no way, God can do anything. But now you're in this place where you're struggling and you need to be reminded of the hope that you have, that your God is for you that your God is with you. And in this moment, you need to surrender some things to God. For others of you, you need to receive hope for the first time. You need to drop your anchor. You need to come to this place once again in surrender and say, God, I believe. And to know that it's not based on what you've done or what you've been through or what's been done to you but you are saved, you are made right because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you can be welcomed into the family of God today. And what I want us to do is to pray together, to pray in preparation of response of how am I going to respond today? Let's normalize responding when we come together, praying together, looking to one another. We're gonna have people in every room at every campus for you to pray with. We're gonna have people online that you can interact with. Don't leave this moment without taking what you're struggling with and handing it over to God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are and the the craziness that we can come to a space like this and to speak and for you to listen. And God, we know you know every hurt and every pain, every laugh, every worry. 
And God, a lot of times we laugh because we're just trying not to cry because we feel hopeless. So God, I pray right now that you would show your people that there is hope to be found, that their situation is, is more, that there's more to the story than what they're seeing in front of them because there is more of you to be known. So God, I pray for vulnerability in these times to come, for us to be able to hand over what we're having a hard time to believe with. God, I pray for all of those who have never placed their faith in you. Today would be that day that they would go all in. God, let this be a moment of response where you get all of the glory. All of this comes by faith through grace. It's in Jesus' name, amen.